Hi guys! Before you listen to this episode, we just wanted to remind you that our stage show is coming to London. It's called The Last Show Before We Die. It's a show about endings. It's a show about our relationship. And it's a real laugh. So if you fancy a good old time in the theatre in January, or you're looking for a present to give to someone for Christmas, then may I suggest tickets to The Last Show Before We Die at the Yard Theatre. And also, if it's not too late, (laughs) I'm still selling my queer Christmas cards, which you can find on our Instagram or our website, www.lifeofbuy.co.uk. By the time this is released, it's probably way too late. But if you want Christmas cards for next year, (laughs) I will have loads because I have not sold that many, I'm afraid. (laughs) Okay, enjoy the show. Welcome back to Life of Bi. This is a bit of a different episode. Yes. We're trying out our new... We are, but we, I think we should still say who we are. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> new format, we'll tell you our names at the end. <laughs> I'm Mary. And I'm Elle. Um, and this is our Christmassy episode yeah. of Life of Bi. And is. also, what you were going to say. And our inaugural... Well, well, I realise we don't have a name for it yet. We're basically looking at ways for us to release more content more regularly in a way that doesn't, that isn't going to completely destroy our schedules. Yes. And I think also because we always have interesting debates about popular culture in our free time with each other. We thought we'd start doing that on the pod. Yeah. because like a little loose cultural episode. So like every two weeks we'll alternate basically between the life of by that you're used to which is a slightly more like totally, yeah well-researched structured thing and then these this more discursive like yet to be named yeah if anyone versions. has a good name for life this. of by diarrhea <laughs> <laughs> oh awful i guess that's awful i just went with the word loose oh right awful i thought you were doing a pun on diaries no (laughs) (laughs) okay okay yeah so let us know basically and to make it christmassy we've selected for our first cultural queer crit whatever you call it thing carol Carol. the film by todd haynes starring kate blanchett and rooney mara um released november 2020 2015 2015 2015 i was about to say 2025 that's in the future great So I guess we'll just jump straight into the conversation. Here we go. We picked Carol. Why do we pick Carol, Al? Firstly, it is Christmassy. Well, we can talk about that. But also, we assumed most people have seen it. Which means that maybe it's more fun to listen to an episode about it. Yeah. And also, I haven't seen it in ages. I haven't seen it in ages. Um, And we watched it together last night. I haven't watched it since maybe the year it came out, actually. I was trying to remember the last time I'd seen it. And Mm. I feel like I've seen it twice before. 
yesterday. I think I've seen it twice before as but well. But I can't remember. That was actually one of my questions for mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Which was, when was the first time that you watched it? And can you remember what you thought about it? I, I'm sure that the first time I watched it was close to its release. It wasn't in the cinema. I watched it. It must have been the year after it's released then, so 2016. And I definitely watched like a piloted version online by mm. myself. And I think it was when I was just coming out as well in 2016. So I had a really big reaction to it. And I, I was what you were going to say, I had a really, really big, big wank. wank. <laughs> I probably did. I was well. convinced that's what was coming. <laughs> Last night when we were watching it, me and Mary were watching it together. I tend to marry when it got to that scene, you know. You know, that scene. Yeah. Um, and I was like, to be clear, if I was alone right now, I would be wanking. And that's really gratuitous, actually. It's really bad. But it's so sexy. I don't know if it's bad as Is a queer right? person. It makes me feel a bit lechy. To feel turned on by it. Is so that not the point? It. Is that not like well, it's one very of the reasons tasteful it's successful? As well. It's very tasteful. Oh my God, it's so tasteful. The reason it's <laughs> so tasteful. <laughs> the reason it's so erotic is because it's been building up for so long that it takes an hour for them to kiss. Yeah, exactly. An hour and into when the they film. Finally that do, is so unusual. Like fucking hell. It's so unusual. It's like edging for an hour. Yeah, I can't remember the first time. I I actually remember not liking it that much. Really? Or not, maybe not getting it. I remember finding right. it a combination of confusing, slow, and cringy <laughs> in moments. <laughs> and what I do vividly remember, which I couldn't believe watching it last night. Yeah. Because, like, as we turned it on, we, we, turned it, we started in my bedroom watching it on a laptop, and we turned it on having just done loads of admin it had been quite a mental day yeah and then turned this film on uh, and it's amazing like we both just became totally absorbed i actually don't know many films that can do that the atmosphere on a laptop screen like yeah. i felt there was complete and utter absorption from both of us uh-huh. it commands such great attention because every shot is beautiful anyway before i thought that i remember thinking i didn't like it very much in fact in my christmas cards I've got a gag about it being still the only queer film. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I was guess I was kind of disappointed that that was the case. But I also I mean it, it is the only queer Christmas film that I care about, but at least it's that one. I mean, yeah, but it's not it's not just like it's a masterpiece of yeah. any genre. Like it's not it's even not a, Christmas, a queer masterpiece. Well, maybe it's we should just talk a about because it kind of has genres. It's obvious. Yeah, it's a genre mix. I want to talk about the gun though. So what? obviously there are going to be loads of spoilers in this. Oh, the gun. But the gun. What about the gun? Th- this is the, the degree to which I was confused having watched it the first time. I don't understand. Yeah. Maybe I was just really stupid. Guys, by the way, if, if you're listening and you haven't seen Carol, go and watch it right now. Anyway, the moment when Carol reveals the gun. Yeah. I thought, I was really confused. I thought, is she going to kill? <laughs> <laughs> again last night i thought oh yeah i remember watching this and think seeing the gun and thinking holy shit am i meant to think that carol's gonna kill rooney mara or rooney mara (laughs) that was your assumption i just didn't know what it was for 
kill the man who was I must have been paying in. like not very good attention or yeah. I was just like fucking dumb also the thing about that is it's not even loaded <laughs> in the end so it's well it's I listened to a director's cut but like a little oh, director's right. chat about this and apparently it's not meant to be not loaded but it's just meant to be jammed oh okay I read it as not loaded but that would be dumb right it's a very unusual thing for Carol to do but I guess like she just grabs the gun on the way out of the house yeah Pop anyway, it in your bag. that was the degree to which I was confused. But yeah. on genre, so yes, it's an adaptation. Carol, for anyone who doesn't know, is an adaptation from the book *The Price of Salt* by Patricia Highsmith, who is also the author of *Strangers on a Train*, which was her first novel, right. and was then adapted to a film by Alfred Hitchcock. Her first right. novel, her first good author. And she's also the author of *The Talented Mr. Ripley*. God, she was yeah. busy. Anyway. Both of those films and this one are thought of as thrillers, which is really interesting. That's in the context wait, of wait, both those books, you mean? Yes, yeah, I mean those books are thought of as thrillers. In the foreword of the novel, it's described as you a thriller. Said both of those films are described as thrillers. Oh, sorry, both of those novels okay. but, and also films are described as thrillers. Whereas I would say the adaptation of Carol in this instance is not. It doesn't, you wouldn't necessarily, thriller wouldn't be the first genre you picked. No. But I think the. It is a thrilling thrilling but the um spy character mm, is, is a much more, more present, central much character. bigger so deal. it's also important to note at this point that the novel was published in 1952 right it sold nearly one million copies in the united states alone when it came out in paperback in 1953 <gasps> wow. and because of the time mm. and the subject matter patricia highsmith released it under a pseudonym mm-hmm. and people didn't know how it was going to go down um, so the name on the jacket was Claire Morgan and the title of the book was The Price of Salt. Yeah. Which apparently remains kind of unclear why it's called that. Interesting. But Todd Haynes, the director, thinks it's like... kind of like the price of flavour, the price of uh, a life of flavour, yeah, a life yeah. full of joy. Yes. Or like... Well, not full of salt joy, is what actually. you add... Yeah. To make flavour, to make flavour, yeah. Yeah, he thinks it's a, a sort of um, reference to that, that, that basically that the choice that Carol has to make. Mm. So tiny spoiler synopsis, yeah. in case you haven't seen it. So Carol is the story of, um, I'm going to get her name wrong, Therese, Therese Bellevet meeting Carol Ed at a department store called Frankenberg's in New York. Therese is serving Carol and the two begin a beautiful romance. That's basically it. A very slow romance. A very slow romance. It's a the romance. 50s, so lesbianism yeah. pretty difficult to... Well, actually, the film makes it like it is... You, you know, you can... Every, like, people were doing it. You just have to be mm. under the radar. Carol has a family. Carol has a family. That's integral. She's yeah. divorced. She has a husband. She's well, she's a soon-to-be divorcee, but there's a kind of... It's a protracted affair. She's in the process of getting process a divorce of throughout. And central to the conflict is the fact that she has a daughter and it's brought into question whether she is a fit mother. Because, due to her morality clause. Yes, because of the fact that she has relationships with women. So that, you could say, is the price of salt. She has to make that very, very difficult decision between... Yeah, family. Her child, really. Yeah. And uh, living the life she wants. Now, when the film came out, because it's such a slow romance, 
it's not immediately obvious that that is what it is. Mm-hmm. And something I was reminded of when I was like looking into the cultural impact of this film is, you know, it's so memefied. Yeah, like yeah, there yeah. are so many pictures of Kate Blanchett with a cigarette in her hands and the caption just says, gay shaking. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's just so many like screen grabs. And the Kate so McKinnon Saturday Night Live one. Yeah, it's just been like parodied to within an inch of its life but one of my favorite things that i was reminded of was that there was this meme <laughs> um from tumblr at the time um <laughs> this random person posted i really don't know what crowd i expected to be in the theater for carol at 1:20 in the afternoon on a friday but it was probably 85 percent old people old het couples and halfway through the movie this old lady in front of me turned to the old dude next to her and just said harold they're a lesbian <laughs> <laughs> and i remember that that harold they're lesbians is now just like fully embedded like as a as a phrase in queer culture wow it's become like akin to like oh gals and their pals you know harold they're lesbians it, you can you can get it on t-shirts oh my it, god it like blew up on tumblr i didn't know that the post received more than one hundred seventeen thousand notes in less than four years whoa see in that sense <laughs> prolonging the kiss i think is also a really genius move from the director todd haynes yeah because it's so unnatural in terms of like not how you would normally plot a romance film it's so uncommon it's yeah for it to take that long and it means that by the time it happens even if you were a straight person watching the film Mm. like who maybe i don't know who's maybe not like not watched much queer stuff yeah or isn't maybe used to that it feels you feel so close to those two people Mm. um and i think what is so amazing about the film is that obviously because of the era that it's set in a lot of the romance is unspoken it's all about the way they look at each other Mm. and the way they use their hands like the poetry of how they use their hands i started writing writing down a list of the ways they use their hands in it there's lots of focus on the hands. Yeah, isn't there? hands on the steering wheel, touching the buttons, each other's shoulders. There's this opening in the opening scene where Carol just puts a hand on mm. Teresa's shoulder, and it has everything in it. It's in the opening scene, and it has the whole story in that hand. Mm. And then she lets go and walks away. And then this other character, Jack, comes in and puts a hand on Teresa's other shoulder, and you're like, "Oh my god, that is." That is the thesis of the film. It's yeah. like that man's touch versus that woman's touch. Which brings us to maybe. Uh huh. <clears throat> Obviously, we're Life of Bi. Uh-huh. And we've clarified before that, like, really, I don't know to what extent this podcast is bi anymore. It's basically no, like queer. But, like, this is a very lesbian film, right? Yes, very. So, if we were going to give it a Life of Bi rating in terms of how bi or pan it is, yeah. it would probably score zero zero like it really made me um it made me yet again disappointed in the fact that i'm attracted (laughs) to men (laughs) and that's a feeling that i you know i tend to shake off you know i don't feel that very much i feel like when we started making life of bi i had that shame about you know 
that's really one of the reasons we were we started making the podcast yeah, right yeah. it's like it's okay they're like men and this film was like it's not okay they're awful i hate them well i actually think yeah the depiction of men is really interesting in this film i i think the way todd haynes uses them basically as like these ambient obstacles to yeah. the action the women Even often the have to shot. see yeah. through crowds of men to yes. each other in the final scene yes. where um therese returns to the restaurant there are all these men uh-huh. passing in front of carol yeah so it's this like ambient obstruction to their love story absolutely and also in that first bar scene with therese and the dudes having beer all... they're all sort of around her there's but you you, it never really focuses on their faces very much yeah but i actually think that the presentation of men is quite sympathetic i mean i actually do i do broadly agree with you as in like the husband could so easily be i mean he he does have his incredibly villainous moments for example using the fact that carol is queer as yes that's fucking her children away but you're right that on the whole um they're not they're not total villains although like there's that weird scene in the newspaper office where the guy moves on her the guy moves on her and you're like whoa this could not be a more different vibe they've like kissed within two scenes and it's like completely unsolicited yeah i think what i enjoyed about that aspect of it that was really uncomfortable Mm. um particularly watching it from a modern perspective yeah, I guess you're like in the fifties. I guess men would have operated a bit more like this, mm. which is obviously not what we want. But it doesn't make him a villain, I guess. If it's part of the culture, I yeah. don't know. Question mark around that. But it's not the same as it would be doing at 2024 mm. in terms of being like you're a bad guy. And then the other thing, the story doesn't tell us he's a bad guy because they then later become friends. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, he yeah. clearly cares about her career. Yeah, absolutely. He basically makes a misstep there. Yeah, but doesn't pressure as in even yeah. that scene that scene is awkward because she clearly doesn't want it mm. and he doesn't get that signal mm. because she is attracted to him on an intellectual level like they get on i guess i think the men are like presented as just their behavior is just based on the era that they're living in yeah, yeah. there's not really like any other moral they're also know. always harsh like the smoothness and the beauty of mm. all the films sh- uh, scenes shot between um really Therese and carol yeah. are like so smooth and sumptuous and the men are like these interruptions be- like starting with the very beginning mm. of the film where you actually follow this guy into the restaurant so you briefly got this guy's lens yeah and sees Therese and Carol sitting at the restaurant and calls her name. Yeah. And even from his perspective, you can tell that he's interrupted yeah, something. Absolutely. When it returns to that scene at the end, I would say that's the moment of thrillery feeling because yeah, you know yeah. he's coming. Yeah. And you and can so see him suspense. in the background. You can see yeah. him coming through the background and like you know they that, that interrupt moment. the shot. They yeah. always they come in very suddenly and harshly. Like yeah. Also, the spy appears very suddenly yes. in a way that, like, even though you don't it know who is he is, thrillery. you're right. We you're are both still like, scared. Like, you're like, I don't like it's him. It's an intrusion. I somehow don't like him. Yeah. And it's amazing directorship <laughs> because yes, you think... know nothing about him and he doesn't particularly look menacing, but something about the way that he appears. I think there's something overall about the way they portray Carol. I mean, 
we started this bit of the conversation talking about where it scores on the bisexual scale. Pretty low, I reckon, but the camera makes you fall in love with her. Mm-hmm. Like it is, it's the lens of love. Like she absolutely sears through that. I don't know who could watch that and not be absolutely enthralled mm-hmm. by Kate Blanchett. And it's not only, it's not only just how she acts it and what she looks like. It's also there you've kind of brought this up in a way there are these layers of like obfuscation and like we there are only a few moments where we really see carol like wholly lots of it is shot through glass Mm. or through reflections Mm. or there's some kind of barrier in the way and i think her her portrayal of carol even has that in it like there are only a few moments in the film where her guard is so down that you feel like you're really seeing the real carol not this like glamorous the glamour is a is its own it's its glass own, it's right? its own glass it's and, pain glass. and i think that that um scene you just spoke about at the end where you know the man is coming mm. she's just said i love you it's like the most real honest devastating moment and then, and the sound design does this thing where, like, all the background noise of people dining disappears. And then that man's voice cuts in. And you can see Kate Blanchett just go, barriers up, the glass is back. Mm-hmm. Like, it's absolutely spectacular. It's spectacular. It's spectacular. And it's like I said, like, all that love has to be communicated through the way she looks and the way they look at each other. And it's so stark when she says, I love you, because really they haven't said all that much to each other. Yeah. In fact, this I heard a bit about this from the from the Todd Haynes interview where he talks about the fact that they played with removing more and more of the dialogue. Mm. And he said that like in this quite unusual way, um, in a way that he wasn't used to anyway, like Rooney Mara would turn to him before a scene and be like, or in a rehearsal and be like, does she have to say that? Oh, She could just not say anything. Yeah. As they were playing with like how little they can do. Yeah. Um, Oh, the intensity of the gaze as well. (gasps) It's just... I think there's a great moment actually that demonstrates this really well is when the spy guy is talking to them in the like that was my favorite scene and they like they just share these looks that say so much it's like they don't need to use words that was my favorite scene yeah that was my favorite scene in the whole film and i it's the difference between having watched it as a young person and watching it now as someone Mm. who's had queer relationships um with other afab people or women yeah should you just explain the scene so the scene yeah do you want to explain it so uh just quickly the guy who ends up being revealed as the spy who's get, getting evidence that Carol is having these illicit relationships meets Carol and Therese in like this motel dining room and he's like trying to sell them stuff. And basically Therese and Carol just share these looks. They're just teasing him. Yeah. They're, like The language has absolutely nothing intimate in it really. But they are... But it is so intimate. They're flirting with each other with this guy there in this, like, under-the-radar way, where mm. you think so, before you know that he's yeah. observing them, which is a horrible realisation. But 
I love that scene so much this time because it's the first time mm. it happens really gently during their road trip. So um, at some point over the Christmas break, they both go away on their road trip. Carol's at a really bad point in the divorce. Mm. Rooney Mara basically breaks up with, with the dude she's been seeing. Yeah. And they go off on this road trip and eventually that's where they have like sex but it takes ages for that to happen and so you're just watching this intimacy grow and almost what I loved so much about that scene was how to fucking describe this I was like I really recognize this feeling of intimate closeness with someone in a public setting where maybe not everyone knows and you're like sharing this um, special something and particularly how that maps onto queer afab relationships because often mm. it's less visible to other people um people don't necessarily assume that's mm. what's going on so there's this like hinterland of w- ways of engaging with each other where you know that people aren't Is this perceiving secret? you yeah there's this like slightly secret shared space in a public yeah. setting and i guess what it's what's fun about how it appears in the film and maybe in real life too is that like in the film so much of what they do is secret for sad reasons i don't even i don't even know what the best way to put it is for like legal reasons and like it has to be illicit but that feels like that's one of the only scenes where the fact of their shared secret is so playful yeah they seem free yeah and it's so beautiful it seems fun it really it holds so much freedom in it that scene mm. even though they're just talking about magazines magazines and shit you can just see them be able to like have this intimacy and that's what the road trip gives them yes because i was also interested and in, i was like there are bits of it which are like, this is just um what's that film Salma and louise <laughs> Salma and louise and i was like what is it with the lesbian road trip and i was thinking like is it because of mm. i mean Salma and louise is not like explicitly lesbian but come on but like <laughs> it's meant to be just friendship i guess it's but they're also escaping the law yeah and so the road trip i guess operates like that in lots of american films as a way of escaping the law yeah but then there's this like queer lens on it which is that like they they spend the first half of the film having to conduct all of these conversations in booths or on the phone while other people they're are so, around. Yeah. They have to, like... They're observed, they're stuck. There's, it's You feel so constricted for them. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Rooney receives the first... Therese receives the first call from Carol yeah. um, in the shop. Yeah. And there are moments where, like, again, Therese is using the hall phone. Yeah. Like, they everything feels... And I invaded. Yes. And so when they're on their road trip, there's this expansion of both yes. of them where they can just be themselves. And I would even say, I was going to say that in like the city, those shots I described about things being behind glass and everything being doubled or reflected or obscured in some way, in the city, you're seeing reflections of other people and and uh, yes. an infrastructure and architecture so yes. the whole screen is like quietly busy mm. but when they go out into the countryside they, he doesn't change the storytelling of those shots but instead you're seeing reflected expansive sky and like trees overhead in the glass of the yeah of the car 
I haven't really got anything clever to say about it, but it's just so beautiful how it's he so uses beautiful. the same the same kind of technique to create this sense of a expanse. And then what makes it so heartbreaking, right, is after that incredibly erotic, beautiful sex scene mm. where you really feel like they've finally found privacy, which they just haven't had, yeah. then the horrible reveal is that they didn't yeah. and some guy was recording the whole thing from next door. Yeah. And that feels just awful. Mm. Uh, I've written down here that there's a kind of, yeah, I've written down that there's an irony that when they say so little throughout the film, there's an irony to the fact that they are caught by, like, by sound. mm. They're caught by sound. Speaking of sound, the music. The music. It's really... I've been listening to it ever since. (laughs) Ever since yesterday. Yesterday. (laughs) I did listen to it all the way into town, yeah. all the way back, and back from Sainsbury's this morning. And honestly, it yeah. makes me feel my heart swells when that thing it, starts. It's absolutely Why incredible. is Christmas... Okay, let's come to the Christmasiness of it. Because, like, why is... Why is Christmas so sad? <laughs> <laughs> mm, well, actually, this is like... Patricia Highsmith even calls it this. It's like the first lesbian book with a happy ending. Mm. Like, it doesn't actually end badly. Yeah, yeah. It looks like it's going to, but it doesn't. Yeah. I mean, it ends in an ambivalent way, but with so much hope and yeah. love that it doesn't feel crushing. Yeah. Which is, when you when the film starts, that's like, what you expect oh, to happen. my heart's going to get broken. You're like, yeah. oh, this is going to be terrible. 100%. And I'm already kind of... And that's, I think, my, my I maybe didn't like it the first time. Because I think up. I was, like, clocked out. Yeah. Because I was like, it's going to be really bad. I don't want tragedy. Um, I don't want to see lesbians die i mean obviously they don't because they're in that final scene <laughs> but yes i, I can't believe you thought that she was gonna shoot to <laughs> hi listener life of bi is supported by patreon we're an independent podcast with no ads which means that we're funded by you the listener so if you like the work that we make and you learn from it or it soothes you or it serves some purpose in your life please consider paying us for the work that we do it means so much to us emotionally but also fundamentally we couldn't make the podcast without it you can support us at patreon.com forward slash life of my What is the importance of Christmas mm. in the film? And one of the things I love about the colouring... Yes. ...is... I don't know if you can call this a queering, right? But when... The way that Todd Haynes uses colour... Yeah. Christmas colour... Is, is really subtle, particularly... Like, it's really subtle. It's like so in every warm. single shot, there is red and green. Yeah. Or pink and pale green. But it's often these, like, off colours. Yeah. Like, it's not the... It looks so different from something like Elf. Oh, fucking hell. Where it's like those primary, that primary red and that primary green. Yeah. It's like playing with all these like subtleties and light touches. Mm-hmm. Um, which, what does it give it, basically? Well, firstly, I think it gives the whole thing so much romance because it's so, it's so soft. Like the light is so soft and intimate. Mm. Um, in fact, I think one of the only scenes where you don't feel that is when they're being observed in the motel when like 
there's that shot where you walk in on the spy and it's like really stark yeah like horrible. the lighting is actually really stark in it as well yeah but i think more generally i think the backdrop of christmas and i think todd haynes does this really well is that like you said lots of the time men are like in the way of the shots and stuff but also lots of couples are so it's like you see people huddled against huddled in together mm. in a cold atmosphere for warmth and you have this backdrop of christmas which is like all about domesticity and family and the first time you meet kate, kate blanchett i keep calling her kate the first time you meet carol she's buying presents for her child yeah and there's something about like christmas traditionally being a time for like the nuclear family yes it's really actually really important to the storytelling that like that carol is being suffocated by it and there's a reason why this is all unfolding at this time of the year and the choice to go on a road trip over christmas is what people find so crazy you can't be alone over christmas you have to be with family over christmas yeah they even use i think there's something amazing as well about the fact that that road trip takes place between christmas and new year Mm. so it actually occupies the most strange days of the year in in a sort of christian calendar right yeah uh, or like a western calendar because there is this strange pocket that that always a feels like such a of, gift and is yeah. so is all, always feels like a bit of a surprise mm. and so the fact that they're sharing those strange sort of dead sleepy days yeah. where no one's really doing anything yet and you've done the big thing of christmas and you haven't got new year yeah. yet that also feels important to me and like a very romantic time i'm also yeah i'm thinking sort of about what you were saying about the road trip and also thinking about the train set feels so important because it's like not only is it a present for the daughter which is subverting a gendered expectation she goes into the shop looking for a doll right and she for the train yeah set. carol looks for a train yeah set. and there's something there's so many shots at the beginning of like this it's like this little life in miniature of this train going on a loop I'm probably reading way too much into it. It's so in the if book. You're going to really, it's in the book. This so, like train set going on a loop back on itself and just continuous and continuous, and then you have something like that. This just to spell out what you said because it might not have been clear. Yeah. If someone hasn't seen the film recently. <laughs> it is that um, the reason that you meet Therese works in the doll department, and and toy, Carol yeah. comes in looking for a doll, and the doll that she wants for her daughter is sold out, and Therese ends up suggesting a train set that she appears to lots about yeah. and we've seen therese stare at this train set yeah um and yeah then there's beautiful shots of it yeah gunning through it's got a sort of These wildness little to figurines it. and like yeah patricia highsmith apparently this is taken from this she was working really she was working in a department store over christmas and a woman did come in who she was infatuated with instantly and she drove to her house twice without telling her (laughs) i'm this is what the this is what i read in the foreword and then decided but like she doesn't need to be a stalker she just wrote about it but she produced a sort of like eight page synopsis of the book that evening oh yeah i did read about this so it is like and so that train set, I'm sure, is something that Patricia Highsmith saw yeah. in the... And, and they talk about it. It is in the book as well, in the opening pages of the book, which I started reading last night. Because <laughs> I realised it had been sat on my shelf this whole time. And really? when my mum gave it to me, 
this just I think this just shows my strange relationship to this film before now I've like become overnight an ultra fan <laughs> but I didn't I felt I was on the fence about it before and my mum gave it to me for Christmas last well, year you're like uh, I was a bit like eye roll yeah just because so I'm queer. classic lesbian whatever and now you're like, like are I don't, you gonna read it now I'm obsessed 100%. with it already I'm, yeah. I've read like I'm four chapters in <laughs> <laughs> and it is like thrilling and it's also amazing to read um it's amazing to read it with the film so fresh in your mind yeah. and therefore to be able to see the choices between adaptation yes, and yeah. film. For instance, Therese's, what Therese wants to do uh-huh. in the book is be a set designer for plays. Oh, interesting. And, she, and in the film, she wants to, to be a photographer. Because that's yeah. a sort of better map for a movie, It's basically. also just wonderful because, again, some of the clearest times you see Carol are in those photos when... Therese is developing them after they've been separated and again it's just another layer of like we can't actually see Carol we're only seeing her through these images that Mm. are like simulacrums yeah (laughs) which brings us to watching the film makes me um stirs a sort of like long dormant femme Mm. like i don't know what the word is appreciation Fem enthrallment fem appreciation because yeah. i yeah just don't normally find it that's attractive. interesting and like the film i think that's also maybe why i wasn't like mad on it yeah earlier on but it just deeply stirs stuff in a way that i'm like <laughs> this could be the difference between me <laughs> like falling for someone with long hair or not yeah. <laughs> is that <laughs> stupid because i think okay this is where i want to come on to the glamour thing yes yeah because i think glamour definitely operates for carol as a shield but uh-huh. also i was thinking like in some ways if it was a film about a woman trapped within her society and culture who is unable to find a way out um carol's glamour would sort of add to that would be a sort of like another cage you start to see it as another cage on her yeah but you don't has to present herself in that way Mm. but because it's actually a story of two women living for themselves despite all the obstacles like they really just go after what they want and they treat men with disregard like yeah like disregard like if they're not and that is important to say one of the resolutions one of the way the film resolves is that carol says you know i can't in order to be who i need to be for my daughter i need to be who i am yeah so she resolves that she's gonna she has no choice but to live as who she is yeah but that the glamour you could so easily have a story about a woman in the 50s where yeah. glamour is part of that cage absolutely rather than completely serving that woman like her own sensuality which yeah. is how you read the glamour yeah. in the film right there's in this fastidious so. care of her lips and the color and the texture uh-huh. of her hair and even the furs that she wears all feels like foreplay yes yes and there's even before the sex scene there's this amazing shot of carol again through a mirror you're like looking through a door and you see her in the mirror and she's putting moisturizer on her neck it's the sexiest thing i've ever seen yeah (laughs) it's like yeah 
but it's I completely agree with you and in contrast like that's not who Therese is right Mm. Therese is not glamorous Therese feels like more raw and vulnerable and later when you see her later in the film she has got more glamour it's still more understated than the sort of vampiness almost like drag queen vamp almost of Carol um uh, but it's this, it is like femininity to the absolute fucking max. Yeah. Like it's un, it's we, unreal. Yeah. We're going to a Christmas party tonight and I literally, it made me think like, I'm going to go full glam. Like, like a floaty track. Like I, yeah, it changed what I, I wore want out. sumptuous yeah, materials. Night. That's what I was thinking. I just wanted my, my clothes to feel sexy on me. I haven't yeah. wanted that in so long. Yes, and that's one of the things. I want the clothes to feel to for me experientially to be sensuous and I think that's what you get watching Carol is that the I can almost feel how the materials would feel on her skin yeah you know Ugh. like so it's not really for everyone else no it's, it's not exactly it's for it's like for her own I think it's completely not experience. for everyone else because you watch her go on this whole journey and her glamour never shifts well there's like one scene where she's in the courts no not the courts she's with the lawyers and she's like not wearing a red lipstick well, that's because she, she looks, looks a bit tired she didn't distress she's in, allowed that you know but I, but I guess like part of Therese's journey right is to grow more into her sensual sexual self and that means that she looks yes. more grown up and more boyish I and also say, a bit more yeah. like painted. I would say she almost has like three stages of her glow up. Go on then. The first stage, she's like really like little girl. Yes. Like there's something very juvenile about her with her little beret, wears her a lot of checks. Long. She looks like a schoolgirl, really. Yeah. Um, she's meant to be 19 she's 19 in the book wow well then she really is nearly a schoolgirl. yeah and then part two is after she's been on this trip with carol she actually wears quite a lot of boyish clothes so you see her like painting her kitchen and stuff she's wearing a shirt she's a lot more undone than she has been before yeah her hair's longer there are wisps hanging down from her hair she's painting she's wearing jeans which we've never seen before it's a new like clothing language drinking beer from a can yeah and then the final phase is when we see her working as as a photographer and then meeting carol again and it's like She's actually become sort of, she's definitely, you can see what she's learned from Carol, you know? Yeah, and there's this, uh, they drink so much in the film, firstly. Carol never doesn't have a drink. (laughs) It's like, it's It's incredible. The consumption of alcohol from like everyone. God, it made me want to drink. Right? Yeah. Um, But from like beautiful whiskey to beer yeah, and bottles beautiful light and they're just a ve- drinks the- are just a vehicle for light in this yes. film <laughs> <laughs> but also in the new year's eve scene uh-huh. just before they're about to have sex and like um carol they're both looking into the mirror yeah carol is drinking a bottle of beer yes and therese is, is drinking champagne. champagne yeah and i thought wow this is the that's a little Using a prop, you've shown us that like the slippage has begun, and yes. these two people are interested in each other, and they're they're changing. For Carol, freedom is in the bottle of beer, uh-huh. and for Therese, freedom is in the glass of champagne. Yeah, and that they're sort of borrowing from each other's lives. Now, can I? This is a real curveball, right? But 
as I was reading the book, uh-huh. the book starts with uh, the scene in the canteen at Frankenberg's where it's Christmas. Uh-huh. And Therese is looking all around her at the people working there. And it's this real observation of ugly misery like she's so struck by the ugliness of the woman opposite her right. her chapped hands lots on hands but it starts with go. unattractive working hands yeah um and then she goes home with that woman like to see her flat because she feels sorry oh, for right. her and it's all about the ugliness of this woman's body and the way that she's old and it takes her a long time to get down the stairs and this woman basically is like the symbol of what could happen to therese if her life continues in a vein where she's working in an apartment store. She's basically worried about her life stretching forward right, in Frankenberg's because yeah. she's new to the job. She can't imagine working there for 15 years, but some people have. Yeah. So it's just like observation. But it made me uncomfortable from a 2024 perspective because <laughs> there was this like faint ableism, uh-huh. ageism, uh-huh. and this... It's like setting the stage for the absolute like deification of beauty mm. that made me feel like it was a tiny bit fascist, <laughs> which is like that's interesting. And I it made me remember the scene because it doesn't really touch on it in the same way. Obviously, Frankenberg's is shown as like quite an ugly place to work, and like yeah. I've we talked about before, the Christmas colours there are drab. Everything's fainted to pink and pale green. It's uh-huh. not rich or sumptuous yet. And it's obviously not like not a great place to work, but the um, there's a scene where when the first time that Carol calls, so once the gloves have arrived, uh, Therese sent the gloves. Carol receives them, calls the store, asks for the customer number, uh-huh. and Therese's call to the phone. She has to leave a customer waiting, and there's this comedy gag we both laughed yeah she is instantly replaced by basically an older version of herself who has like yeah the same brown who's very hair. plain but she's replaced by someone in an identical uniform yeah who's similar in height immediately with big glasses who's much older and i thought is that the reference to reference? this like throwing forward of like who could who could you the become? ugliness that awaits you in normal life. And it made me think of the line that Carol has in the court scene where she goes, I, let's not do that, Marge. <gasps> we're, we're not, not ugly people. people. Oh, God, we were she never delivers ugly that people. Line. And I thought, beauty and aesthetic here is acting as a rescue from normal life. Normal life is presented. The normal straight life, the men, how mm. everything like that is shot, is not, does not have the same beauty as what Carol brings. That's Her so glamour and the intensely... Yeah. Like, nothing about her life... I'd isn't be, stunning i'd be really interested because you know so she so patricia highsmith described it as one of the only you know lesbian happy endings i'm just thinking about putting that observation about beauty in context of other queer literature i've read for, like from yeah. before that time and lesbian it, lesbianism was portrayed as such a depressing thing like the well of loneliness is a really good example where like uh the portrayal of lesbians are like they're very masculine they wear really masculine clothes they're like put they're portrayed the the main character in that is portrayed as like very ugly by like usual standards <coughs> yeah um and i'm just just finding this thought 
but maybe that in itself was like a radical thing is that like you're a divorcee and or you might be a spinster mm. but you you don't live uh an ugly life or like and maybe that in itself is like a reclaiming yeah maybe i just would i, I would know. never have thought of this if i just watched the film alone but i was just really struck that the book starts with such ugliness and mm. knowing where it's going i already know that this woman that's portrayed as like ugly and old and repulsive is acting as the foil to carol mm. already yeah so that contrast between age and yeah. working like working class okay yeah, yeah, yeah versus carol it does just make you think it's a bit like it's like a bit uncomfortable it's also just like you know i know that we said that the portrayal of men is like not it's not bad you know but the for me the takeaway is like it's way better to be a lesbian. Like when they have sex. Oh my god! I'm the like, takeover is okay, definitely is way better to be a lesbian. Lesbianism gives you amazing skin. The takeaway is everyone should be a lesbian, and like, also you know everyone wants to have sex. <laughs> the sex scene, they are like their bodies are glowing. Yeah. I'm like okay, if the thesis is that lesbianism makes you that hot, okay, I'll break up with him. <laughs> Sorry, just just plot what you just said. I'm obviously not going to do that. Anyway, I don't really know right. how to like fold that back into the analysis of the thing, but it's just something that I noticed and I felt it had to be mentioned. Yeah, I also love. We were like, we'll just do like a little minisode, guys. We've been recording for almost an hour. Love is beautifying as well, right? Like that, <laughs> like that's part of it. Is that yeah? The, oh, what Living I was going to say your, earlier. Being your true self is beautifying. What I was going to say earlier about you said that things slow around Carol. Yeah, it describes her in the book as like that her voice creates a pool of silence oh god and i thought oh my god pool of silence firstly is <laughs> so erotic but also i was like whoa they've achieved that in the film yeah 100 percent. also it's fun to read the book having seen the film and never having read it before because todd haynes also read the book knowing kate blanchett was attached no way so you have the similar Right. sensation which is like todd haynes read this book only ever picturing Kate blanchett and question. there are going to be so many people that read this book only ever yeah seeing here's a question could you imagine anyone else playing that role and if so who well did we not conclude that like it's on the cards for you oh you thought me playing that role no i didn't think you playing that role I necessarily mean, like, but i was like you could be carol in the future i do aspire to be carol that that quantity of glamour oh god the glamour <gasps> i mean like who else could play that role yeah i don't i, I don't, honestly don't think anyone could but that's i guess the sign of an amazing performance right where you just are like i cannot imagine anyone else you've yes. completely inhabited this it couldn't be done by anyone now, else remind me of the actor who plays aunt abby what's her sarah name? paulson sarah paulson who i love but also oh my God, we only, need to talk about that the queer friendship but the also, exes yeah <laughs> guys no but the, that but that yeah, was a very it's really important that actually. was a very like moving another reason that i loved watching it with you firstly like yeah. i don't know how many queer things we've watched together apart from for the podcast and it was a very special thing to watch with you yeah um because i know that we're appreciating it in very very similar ways uh -huh. and then the moment when it's revealed that like carol has this long-standing relationship with this 
ex best friend who's played yeah. by Sarah Paulson, Abby, ex who becomes lover, ex- comma best friend, not yeah. ex best friend. In- yeah. Thank you. <laughs> like, what are you saying, Mary? <laughs> Instrumental to like the latter half of the plot and looks yeah. after Therese when um, Carol can't. And I was very moved by that as well yeah. in a way that I hadn't been moved by it before. Like, yeah. I'd also seen her as like you know, Therese sees her as a bit of a villain when she arrives because she's replaced Carol. She's like, do you hate me? But it's actually such a beautiful role. It's such a caregiving role. And it really speaks to like a broader queer community that was alive then that we like don't, that we don't see. She's so crucial to the story. Otherwise it would feel exactly like a sort of pin drop and Sarah Paulson contextualizes. She also like, she dresses in this slightly more clearly lesbian way, yeah. subtly, like, wears check and is more, like, yeah. mannish. And then, she isn't necessarily lesbian, but you know what I mean, like, mask. At that time. Um, and then, it just also just reminds you that there are so many different kinds of relationships. Like, Sarah Paulson says, mm. it is so different. Uh, like, to Therese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's such I've a different situation. I've known her since situation. I was 10 years old. It couldn't be more different. Like, yeah. that also just gives the whole thing it's this beautiful. depth and there's a moment where kate blanchett carol calls aunt abby when she's just found out that her daughter's gonna get taken away from her basically because of the evidence collected against her and i turned to mary and i said i'd be on the other end of the phone for you i think so that, that would be me calling you that would be what did i say i thought i think you're imagining that that was you calling me you were Carol sat on the bed and I was on the other end of the phone. Yeah, I would, I would call you. Yeah, I oh. think that's what you meant. Because at first I thought you were saying I was Carol, which I thought was very glam. And I listened to it again and I thought... No, I think I was saying that you were Carol. <laughs> <laughs> I said I, I, what I meant by it was I would be on the end of the line for you. Oh. That's what I meant. I mean, I thought so it was a very beautiful aspect I of the story. Thought it was equally cute that you were like, that would be me calling you in a time well, of need. Well, to be honest, yeah, it could be. But that, you know, you would need... You need ally. You would need allies, yeah, in, to have lesbian relationships in the fifties. But what I find interesting about this is that Sarah Paulson is the only out actor who worked on that film. Is that now, true? That is what I read today. I thought there were well, Todd Haynes is queer, the director, yeah, but I just mean yeah, he's not actor. the actor. Yeah, yeah. But also, I mean, come on, Kate Blanchett's definitely queer. It's really hard come to imagine on. that they're not both yeah, of them, isn't on. it? Does that just show like a complete failure in our understanding of acting? Yeah, and I also think it speaks to like we're not going to go into this now, but like this obsession with queer baiting, like that people have even like bothered talking about. It. It's like guys, if they st- signed on to this film and they're doing all this, they clearly fucking care about it. And I don't actually. Oh my god, I don't care. As in, like, as in like whether or not they're as in like. They care about the story. They care about telling it well. They did it beautifully. And they did it absolutely perfectly. I don't care if they're out or not. Yeah. I don't, you know. The main thing the main thing that's important, I think, is that the director... Yeah. I mean, amazingly, it's amazing that it's directed by a guy. It makes sense that it's a queer guy because it's so beautifully directed from um their gaze like the focus on them yeah i think i mean yeah but the thing is when something is a work of art like that like beyond almost feels like beyond critique you are like i honestly don't care how this came to be 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care how many dogs were killed in the making of this film. <laughs> no, I do. How many mink, in fact, on her coat. But no, I do care about that stuff. But I'm still like, it's really hard to... You're like, must must we? We don't have to. Over? We don't have to. Like, I don't want to. We don't. We just absolutely don't I just think do it's perfect. I don't want to touch it. Apart from... <laughs> The line flying out of space. Okay, can, that, we can we just end on that, this. and then yeah, we've yeah, really we got to wrap to talk up about this. Flying out of space. On what, a, the, what a strange little girl. Uh, <laughs> flying out of space. It makes me cringe. Yeah, that is actually the only thing that but I don't it's like only about that film. Cringy because okay, chicken or the egg? Do you think it's only cringy because it's been co-opted so much, or do you think it's inherently cringy because it's a line that pops up in the memes? It pops up in the SNL. Well, sketch. I remember finding one of the reasons I didn't like it the first time I watched it is I remember finding all the initial dialogue between them cringy, stilted, and weird. I didn't know how to take it in. Interesting. But when they're talking in the shop and when they're talking over cream, spinach, and egg, it's like what a meal. What a meal. Disgusting. Both times, it sounds disgusting. I think Queen's finish would be heaven, but <laughs> both times, it's like uh, I completely lost my train of thought there. She says, no, "Okay, okay." So the first time she says "flung out of space," I can be like, "Yeah, okay, I get it." But she says it a second time. Yeah, when they've just had when sex. They've just had it, and you're like, "Carol, shut up!" No, is it? No, it's the second time they've had sex. It's the second sex. time they've had sex, right? I think so. I don't know. I will forgive it anything. I'll forgive it anything. But it just does make me cringe a bit because I think it's a bit like saying, manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, it is. It's the 1950s version of that. It's like, you came from Mars. Where are you from? Now, yes. We've got to end. We've got to end. I Um, hope this has been enjoyable for people. Yeah, who the hell knows? If you don't... Yeah. If you don't like it... (laughs) You actually should let us know because we'll, we'll just stop. <laughs> but well, I've enjoyed like, it. Let's know things time. that we could talk about. Um, I like talking in depth and rigorously about such things. We do this anyway. I guess that's why we were like, we might as well record it because we spoke for an hour and a half about a book that we both read recently. Yeah. And I was just like to start like a queer book club. Let us know. Um, I hope you enjoyed. Life of Bi was created, edited and hosted by us, Elle Posser and Mary Higgins. Sound design and production by Tom Foskett Barnes. Funded by you, the listener. Thank you. I just want to say... It ain't over till the bisexual...